This is a shock podcast. Shock. Hearing the rumors of Ferrari offering Christian Horner and Adrian Newey Ferrari, that's something that's interesting, but I don't know if that's ever possible. Blasphemy. Ooh, Blasphemy. Wow. Okay. No, wow. never. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's a huge gossip in the paddock, isn't it? Like, it's obviously involving something that's a lot of money, that's for sure. But hey ho, you never know, right? The silly season can happen to drivers. It can also happen to team principals. Mate, Newey is like the eighth wonder of the world. Newey and Horner will solve Ferrari's problems. I highly doubt it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Suited and Booted, your go-to Formula One podcast. My name is Weron Tan. I have Jasmine Jaffar with me. Unfortunately, our supreme host, Daniel Woodruff, is not able to join us. However, we've got two very special guests and huge Formula One fans, Armand and Mahadur here with us. How are you, gents? Doing very well, thank you. Yes, very well, thank you. Great to be here. Fantastic. I think to kick things off, Jazz, would you like to run through a quick qualifying recap from the Hungarian Grand Prix? Yeah, so we had an exciting Hungarian Grand Prix uh, in which there was a, quite a mix of results from qualifying. We saw Lewis Hamilton coming back in pole position and then we had um, Max Verstappen in second and Lando Norris in third. On the other hand, it's Ricciardo's return to Formula 1 with Scuderia AlphaTauri in which he moved up to Q2. Um, the Ferrari struggled, Sainz was out of Q2 as well, but we had some interesting surprises from the Alphas. Both were in the Q3, qualifying 5th and 7th respectively. And we have been seeing a string of very strong results by both McLarens having into Q3 and fighting for 3rd and 4th position. So a really exciting qualifying mix, Ron. Slightly different to what we're used to, but we can see some guys having good upgrades, working in a hot environment in Budapest. Absolutely, Jez. I mean, you know, for Hamilton to qualify on pole, I think nobody really expected that. A lot of Lewis fans went crazy. It's Mercedes' first pole since 2022, last year, when Russell also qualified pole at the Hungarian Grand Prix. So, super impressive. However, their race pace didn't turn out the way, or maybe they already knew that they didn't have as good of a race pace as the Red Bull cars and even McLaren. But, you know, looking at Joe Guan Yu qualifying P5, as you said, both Alphas were in Q3. I think that was also extremely impressive from a team which we completely cancelled out in the previous podcast and said that they had no developments, they weren't doing much, and there was really no hope for them moving forward. But then they come out and, you know, sort of uh, pull something out of the bag. So what are your thoughts on the other teams such as, you know, McLaren now with a huge upgrade and big performances, two podiums in a row? How are they looking moving forward in the remaining of the season? Well, it looks as though that the McLaren upgrades, you know, we, we mentioned about Rob Marshall and Stella also uh, leading the pack in McLaren as a very renowned technical team. Um, the upgrades are working, you know, and we have Piastri who's an exciting young talent also on par to Norris. He's only a couple of tens off, but he's, he's on his rookie season, which is fantastic. But to mention one thing is George Russell. He was out of Q1, guys. Like, this was really, really disappointing. The one thing to note is that Budapest is a very short circuit. So when you have all 20 cars lining up in that last sector trying to do that one lap dash, it's it's challenging. So he got caught up with traffic, which pulled him back out to Q1, um, but managed to find his way 
through traffic to get to the feel in the race. But yeah, having having said that, the Mercedes one was confined fantastically up front, but the other one is right at the back. So yeah, moving on to the race. But having said that, looking at these qualifying results, you know, we, we have our guests on the show, which is great to have a fan's perspective into this. Share with us, you know, uh, Arman, what do you share with us? Are you actually rooting for, or perhaps is there a specific team that you are supporting this season? Oh, no. Call me out right now. <laughs> so, cards on the table. I am a huge Red Bull fan. Max Verstappen fan. I mean, Red Bull since day one. Not a glory hunter. Um, I really like Red Bull. Love what they do. Love the way Max drives. Very precise. Very fast. Very clean as well. Aggressive. But I guess nowadays, within the limits. But yeah, I think the race was interesting. I think first place now is a bit boring, which may not be great for the sport. But maybe we can talk about that later. What do you guys think about that? Other than that, McLaren, like you said, McLaren did so well. Uh, back-to-back races, completely different tracks, medium to slow speed corners now, and they still outperformed, I think, everyone's expectations. PS3, very strong showing there. And uh, Honey Badger, he's back. He did quite well on his debut race for AlphaTauri. Good to see that. But I think we should, you know, take a few more races to see how that pans out. So, yeah. What about yourself, Mandy? You know, we heard to be that you're an aspiring racing driver. Tell us about, you know, how is your involvement in motorsports and, and is Formula One something that you've been a fan of since you were young? Yeah, so, you know, motorsports has been something that's been around me since I was a kid. Um, we used to go to the Malaysian Grand Prix nearly every year up until 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Right now, I'm not a fan of any particular driver, to be honest. Growing up, my favorite driver was Jensen Button, uh, especially when he raced for Honda. And then when he won in 2010 with Braun, you know, I was the happiest kid uh, seeing that. Uh, looking at this season, I think Max has won the championship, let's be honest here. But it's good to see how throughout the course of the season, um, that podium P2, P3, P4, P5 has not been so consistent, which is good. To me, the unpredictability with upgrades coming um, into different teams like McLaren, you know, they started horrifically the season um, and now they're up there. Uh, Lando, we've always known that he's been a good driver. Uh, he's produced some good results in the past. But Piastri, I'm going to be honest, I am still not so convinced. Uh, it's only been two races that he's really performed. And obviously, it's no secret that their car is much better in the last two races. So I'm looking forward to see how he progresses for the next uh, couple of races. Thank you for sharing that. And absolutely. I mean, you know, let's talk a little bit about the race. You know, Verstappen, P1, that's as we predicted. Actually, all the top three drivers were part of our predictions. We got Verstappen, we've got Norris and Perez, just in different orders. Now, Perez obviously failed us because he didn't manage to have a good qualifying. Nonetheless, the top three are the ones that we all we all predicted. So Verstappen winning and, you know, what an amazing achievement. Wow, seven wins in a row. Record-breaking for any driver as well as for Red Bull constructors. 12 wins in a row that supersedes what McLaren managed to achieve back in 1988 with Senna and Prost. That being said, you know, back then, that was 11 out of 12 races that they have won consecutively. That's just What nuts. do you think ratio-wise? I mean, we have a lot more races now, and obviously with a lot more technological advancement. Boys, tell me, is it unfair to compare these stats, or is it still a massive and great achievement from both driver and team? Well, looking at it at now with 20 three Grand Prix weekends, right? So it is different, I would say, you know, now with with having over a thousand employees within the team and 
things are a lot bigger and a lot more exposure and etc etc so um looking at it back then even if resources were smaller it's still quite an impressive result but yeah i think in a fan's perspective probably there's more excitement right now because there's a lot more things going on a lot more excess in the paddock and you know, Netflix drive to survive and etc. But yeah, what what do you guys think on this as a fan's perspective, Armand? Is it fair to say that cars were much more unreliable back then? You know, I feel like cars back then would just break down every other lap, right? So the fact that they even just survived those 11 races, McLaren, was amazing. And let alone win. And you remember, it's 11 out of 12. That's the entire season for one team. I think, in my opinion, that is far more impressive than today where the cars are so reliable. They're only given a certain number of engines for the whole season. So yeah, I think definitely it's not fair to compare like for like. I think they need to maybe do it as a percentage of the whole season as opposed to just absolute number of races. But don't get me wrong, it's still a very, very impressive achievement on Red Bull's part. And what do you think, Mahadir, the current team that is maximizing their performance and, you know, achieving what they should have been doing? Let's not talk about Red Bull. You know, we know Red Bull's dominating, but what would be your next best choice? Ferrari. (laughs) Ah, yeah, Ferrari. I mean, Ferrari, they've been around for a long time. They've had, you know, incredible history. And it's such a shame that they don't capitalize on, you know, the resources that they have, you know, and it's the small things that they're not getting right. You know, it's pit stop strategy. I feel that they're not maximizing it properly. And I don't know if it's the case of, you know, uh, lack of prep. Or, you know, do they need a complete restructuring of the team? I don't know. But it's something that they really need to sort out. Hearing the rumors of Ferrari offering Christian Horner and Adrian Newey into Ferrari, that's something that's interesting. But I don't know if that's that's ever possible. Blasphemy. Ooh, Blasphemy. Wow. No, wow. never. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a huge uh, gossip in the paddock, isn't it? Like, it's obviously involving something that's a lot of money, that's for sure. But hey ho, you never know, right? And the silly season can happen to drivers. It can also happen to team principals. Mate, Newey is like the eighth wonder of the world. Okay, he's not gonna... I don't. I, personally, I don't think he's gonna jump ship to Ferrari. My opinion is that the reason why Horner and him are irreable is because they're given the freedom and independence to do what they want to do. Again, my opinion, I think Ferrari, there is a hidden structure or hidden hands behind the scene that we don't see and it's extremely political. And Newey and Horner probably know this too. So I think they probably don't want to go there unless... It's, you know, one of those, okay, my career is coming to an end. Ferrari has that mystique about it. And then I can say I've managed to be the one to turn around Ferrari. If that is the logic, then maybe. But otherwise, I seriously don't think they're going to do that. It was saying it's going to be at the end of Newey's career. I genuinely think that him joining Ferrari or even Christian Horner, it's not something, it's not a plug and play solution to Ferrari's pro- problems. You know, it still takes time to, you know, change the philosophy of Ferrari, change the way they do things. And, you know, hopefully in the long run, yeah, they can be successful. But to say that Newey and Horner will solve Ferrari's problems, I highly doubt it. Correct. You know, it was only until recently where Red Bull showed like truly strong performance. Don't forget, for the last, I mean, Mercedes just won seven constructors championships and seven world titles as well. Only very recently, like two years ago before Max dominated. So all of these teams, including McLaren, McLaren had a long period where they weren't performing. You know, when Alonso was driving for them, when Ricardo was in as well, the car was just absolutely nowhere. And right now they seem to have found something and now they are, you know, battling for the next best just after Red Bull. So I think Ferrari's going through that period as well. Seems like theirs is lasting a little bit longer than others. But I think one day they will come back, you know, regardless of whether Hono or Newey 
joins the team, they might find another Rob Marshall, for example. Who knows? Let's look at it from the Hungarian Grand Prix, right? And Ferrari errors during the race. Okay, they're not the quickest car. Uh, they're there or thereabouts. Qualifying wasn't too bad for Charles. Carlos wasn't too far behind. But it's the strategy choices they made. There was a radio comms from Charles to Xavi, uh, an engineer that's been there for a very long time. And he, he asked, so guys, what's the plan? Like, what's what's the next pit stop window? And it's like he's having said, a meeting, right? Yeah. It's, uh, oh, and he said, <laughs> we'll get back to you. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. You're, you're, in a, you're in a Grand Prix weekend and you're about to have a board meeting before you decide on your actual <laughs> pit stop strategy. Like, hey, you can see the car's pace. You can see the tire wear from all the data you have. And guys, it's since 2007 when you had your Drivers World Championship. It's time. You, you're going to miss the boat when, when everyone's already done their stop. Yeah, it's like, hey, don't mind me, right? I'm just trying to drive this car as fast as it would go, 200 miles an hour. And you're asking me to have a conversation with you on the radio. <laughs> and I think that's something that the fans don't appreciate. I think, Ron, JJ, you guys know how difficult it is to pilot these cars around the track, right? You're aiming for millimeters every lap, every corner. And Ferrari is trying to ask the drivers what they think while they're trying to do that and manage the car and everything else. They're expecting way too much from the drivers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's Ferrari, right? I, I just and think Ferrari, they don't have enough prep. You think so? Really? It's more like, yeah, A to A to F. Okay, last, let's do plan H. They're like, what? What's plan H? We never talked about plan H. You know what I mean? It's like they throw curveballs at their own drivers. Which is what I mean. They don't do enough prep beforehand. They all have everything that uh, they need within the team to, to perform at a high level. But yet, you know, they still have weekends like this where they can't even call a... a the correct strategy and you have drivers forgetting what plans they have maybe they're just over complicating things right so enough about ferrari where is aston martin where is their podium that they were seeking every race weekend after spain you know ron i think aston has put himself a lot of pressure earlier in the season when alonso came back when testing was like uh, they, they were in the ballpark with the big guys and he did some solid solid results battling up front but it's the deployment of the upgrades, right? And and Aston hasn't really done much since, you know, Barcelona, I think. And uh, they're still waiting for uh, that win or perhaps that podium again. McLaren has peaked them. I think the last few races, I think Aston has only scored nine points and McLaren has scored 58 points. So you see the big leap in that. Uh, driver standings championship and they can't wait any further or else they're going to get pit but you know looking into the fans perspective Madi are you a fan of Aston Martin or Alonso looking as, as a team dynamic are they someone we should watch moving on for the season ahead I don't know. I mean, Aston Martin, they're still a very new team with Lawrence Stroll buying over the company with Sun as one of the drivers. When you said at the start, you know, that Aston Martin has a lot of pressure on them. Who's putting the pressure on them themselves or do you think the fans? Because I don't think any of the fans expected them to do as well as they've done at the start of the season. Well, results have not been great for the past couple of races, but I think a team like Aston Martin, they've somewhat exceeded their own expectations at the start. You know, yeah, Yes, they have a legendary driver like Alonso, but he's 42. He's past his prime, to be honest. And they've really done well, I think, in the Constructors' Championship. They finish P4. I think that's good enough for them. I like the fact that Formula 1 is so unpredictable, guys. One minute, we buzzed up seeing Aston Martin. And then the other minute, we're like, whoa, raving about McLaren. And then uh, mm -hmm. you're jumping over or you're trying to think what will happen next to the next midfield team, like Alpine. 
hey, Ron, like, where's Alpine these wow. days? Oh. They, they're like talking Ryan over Reynolds each other. Ryan Reynolds is probably crying at home. But <laughs> 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 we, we saw some celebrities as well and some of the uh, Hollywood stars like Terry Crews and famous producer Jerry Bruckheimer. But hey, maybe Reynolds is not ready to appear yet when the team's not up front. No, yeah, he definitely chose the right time not to come. I mean, both the Alpines did even finish the race. What a disastrous weekend for them. Uh, they seem to have had a really good run up until Monaco, I believe. And what's happened all of a sudden? Is it a driver pairing issue? Is it because they don't have enough upgrades on the car? All the Alpine fans out there, how do you think they're feeling like there was this one wave where, oh my God, Alpine's doing so well, they're sort of like right back on track again. And all of a sudden, they're just nowhere to be found. And we don't even mention them on the podcast anymore. I mean, we must not forget the, the Endstone squad was a championship winning squad. Right, and that's where Alonso had their double world champion came back to the team um, that he won that championship with. They know how to do it, and now with this new structural organization under the parent company Renault, Alpine was was you know having good leader leadership in the team. But just before Budapest, Lauren Rossi is is out of the team uh, as CEO of Alpine. Uh, but they still have the experience of Mazafnau. He's been with mm-hmm. Boss India, Racing Point, Aston Martin. He hasn't won a championship yet, but he knows the ingredients needed to be running a Formula 1 team. But perhaps it might be the driver lineup, but both has, are Grand Prix winners. They're probably not championship winners. But yeah, is it something perhaps the fans are, are more interested? Arman, what do you think? I mean, I think, yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like you said, it's the same squad that won two world championships for Alonso. And they did really well when they changed the Lotus when Kimi was there. So it, it seems to be a disjoint between the top management, their goals, and what's happening on track. I think okay. if the drivers are okay, I think the car's okay, but they just can't translate that into results. And maybe it's Alpine's not committed. It seems like they're like half foot in, half foot out. That's my perception from the outside. Like, uh-huh. They want to do it, but they don't yeah. want to really do it. Like, they're not willing to put in the investment over the long term. Like you guys said just now, turning on a team takes many, many years. And if they're serious about fighting teams like Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, with their massive budgets, plus their technical advantage, you need to slog it out for many years and just pour money down this pit, right? And are they willing to do that? I'm not sure. They seem to be half-hearted. That, that's my take. Could so they be FIA, waiting for... guys, have just mentioned about this budget cap breach rule, right? And... Alpine is one of the teams that might have breached the budget cap. So no they way. must have been spending some money into that team on resources or developments that is, is over budget. So having that discussion on, on budget point of view, everyone has the cost cap, but some are spending over it. There's a lot of discussion on that, on where they're actually spending on it. So I think I think the, the, the potential breaches are, are still in investigation, uh, but I would love to hear from Otmanzaf now. But... Moving forward, let's turn back to a bit of Red Bull. What do you guys think of Perez? Perez is up to par. Oh, I wanted to talk about Ricardo first. I mean, oh. Ricardo, Ricardo, Ricardo. What an impressive debut. Perez can wait. Yeah. Sorry, producer's yes. going to cancel us very soon. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Ricardo for a second here. I mean, shall we call it a debut or no? He hasn't been racing for a while, but mighty impressive, outperforming Sonoda. Do you guys think it was expected of him or do you think he had so much pressure he had to do it otherwise that was it for him basically? Man, he's a nine-time Grand Prix winner. If he doesn't outperform Yuki, I'm sorry Yuki, I love Yuki. Come on, it is expected of him, right? He's ex Rebel senior team driver supposedly championship material. And I feel like in the past, he's, I mean recently, he's gotten a bit too confident for his own good. I think he put the pressure on himself as well 
I think one of the big things for him was his whole driving style, right? There's this big drama about how he was trying to change his style to suit the McLaren and how Red Bull was saying that they don't even recognize him anymore after all that. What do you guys think about that? Is it better for drivers to adapt or you should just stick to your guns and stick to what you know and your style? Because the examples are both, right? It's a very difficult one. Yeah, like Ron, having Formula One, there's always this number one, number two driver. Mm-hmm. And Daniel, since he left Red Bull, since Max arrived at Red Bull, he hasn't really found a footing in which he was the number one driver, right? Mm-hmm. So to answer you, Arman, I think being the number one driver, team revolves around setting up the car and developing the car towards you. So continuing to that, Daniel has the experience to develop the car. I think that's why Red Bull looks into the true value of Daniel. Having said that, we don't mm-hmm. know what the end goal of his seat at yes. Afutori. Is he going to stay there for another year? Is he maturing himself further to wait for Perez to move over? Uh, we don't know where Daniel's heading towards that. But I think the footing between being a num- number one or number two driver, Daniel needs to fight that spot and, and prove to Red Bull that he can be competitive. Correct. I, I 100% agree with you on that. You know, the, the Red Bull Junior program They need to keep that alive. They need to make sure that it's a program that works. All the drivers that have gone through who have been racing at Red Bull Formula One team, except for Perez, has been through the junior program. It also begs the question, I mean, I think we discussed this in the previous episode. Why not give a shot to a guy like Liam Lawson, who's also part of the program, who's shown a good amount of speed, maybe lacking in performance, but AlphaTauri doesn't really have anything else to lose anymore. So why not give it to someone who maybe deserves a seat, deserves a chance to prove himself, instead of a veteran like Ricardo, as much as everyone likes him? The producer might, might again, cancel me here, but maybe Red Bull is actually thinking about replacing Perez. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense, right? So Ricardo takes Perez's seat and then Lawson can come in next year. So right now, it's no loss to AlphaTauri to try Ricardo. And then when he moves up, they have a new space, take Lawson. To me, uh-huh. it's the only way it makes sense. Otherwise, why? Why risk it? And also, he's experienced, right? And he can help develop the team, Ron, as you said before. He has that experience uh-huh. and he can help not only bring some points, maybe, but help turn the team around and set it up for a junior like Lawson to come in and just focus on driving and not having to develop this car, which is proving to be quite tricky to handle, right? Commercially, do you think Dan is much more, you know, friendly with the media, good with the sponsors? And let's do from our day. Do you think on the fans' perspective, Daniel is popular amongst, you know, all the viewers, all the sponsors, and and he's great to have him back on the grid? Okay, so for me, what makes a good racing driver? Yes, you have to be fast, you have to have the talent, but it's, it's about being the whole package. Dan is a dream with, you know, the media, with the fans. From that angle, from the marketing angle, he is the perfect guy. You know, I think also Lando is getting up there as well. But from Dan's perspective, he's 35 I really don't know or don't see where his career is going. You know, I, I still don't get why Alpha Tauri brought him back and um, what the logic was behind that apart from, yeah, maybe helping the team and helping Yuki improve. But yeah, Daniel Ricciardo, I don't know if he's going to have a seat next season. I don't think so. I think there's other drivers waiting the wings. You mentioned Liam Lawson, but there's also Alex Albon. He's been performing superbly in the Williams. You know, he was a former Red Bull driver. Now that he's with Williams, the pressure's off him and he's been performing superbly with a lesser car and relative to Logan Sargent who is to be honest he's been abysmal this season he's scored zero points yeah so I'd like to see Alex Albon challenge Ricardo for that seat at Red Bull yeah honestly Albon is doing such a great job right now I think a lot of people forget that the Williams 
was like the slowest car on the grid and arguably is still somewhere down there. He flew past the Ferraris in Silverstone. He finished P11 and he's always at the heels of the point scorers, right? I think, yeah, Albon deserves a mention here. He is fantastic. Okay, so we've covered a bit about Red Bull. We've covered Ferrari, Aston, Mercedes. I don't think there's much for us to say. They've, they've had a, a decent race. Okay, not so bad. Great pole position and then fourth for Hamilton. Let's talk about McLaren. Strong continuous streak of podiums and Norris obviously having that little bit of a blunter on the podium, breaking Max's trophy. Don't think he was very happy about that, but hey, what a great sentimental value to have, eh? Breaking the trophy and also it reminds him that he broke the record for, you know, seven wins in a row and 12 wins for the team. What do you guys think of Norris moving forward, going into Spa? Is he confident? Piastri as well. You can see his confidence boost. Guys, tell me a bit from your perspective, looking at these two young guns, have they got a shot maybe next year at a world championship? Um, well, for me, Norris, he's produced good results in the past. Now that he's got a better car, he's performing. But for me, the long-term plan, which I'd like to see Norris do, is to move on to a bigger team. McLaren, unfortunately, I feel is just not a big enough team to compete for the World Championship. And I think that's, you know, might be controversial. But seeing him at Red Bull, challenging Max, I think that'd be something exciting. Oh, <laughs> right? wow. That could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, good point, good point. And yeah, another thing you touched on Piastri. I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm still not convinced by him. Why? He's got a fast car. I, I don't know. Has he done anything to you? Yeah. He's made. I mean, nothing, he's doing it's, so it's nothing well. He's nothing <laughs> He's doing well, but he's producing this, these results because of a great car. To be honest, that's that's just how I feel. And I feel that if you were to put another driver in that McLaren car, they probably could do the same thing. So I still haven't seen anything that makes him really stand out. And maybe I, that's just because it's only been the last two races. I'm itching to jump in here. No, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I gotta jump in. The <laughs> fact that you the fact that you don't realize or talk about him, isn't that great? I mean, he was fighting for like top five and he's like rookie year and he didn't put a foot wrong. You know, his fight with Perez, that was insane. He didn't fly off the yeah. road. He didn't touch. He I, could have easily binned it right there and he did it, right? Let's put it in I know, but, he yeah. said, no, I mean, to anti-stall was uh, on the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's going, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, he hasn't struggled physically on his first year and being in a McLaren, first year in, a, in I would say, fairly big team, he's on par with Norris. So, but hey, who? That's based on our on par with Norris. Okay, maybe yeah. not on par. It's on close. Par with Norris. Mm. Well, well I mean, compare- I think the biggest flex for him you know, the, the, the biggest flex for him is that the team fought so hard after all of that controversy last year of buying him over from Alpine. And now he finally gets to prove his worth. Um, it's only going to make him a better driver, I think. He started off pretty rocky, but as a rookie, yeah, he hasn't put a foot wrong. Um, he is doing very well. What is it like, right, guys? Because you guys have to move up the series all the time. So in your first year in a new series, how daunting is it or, or not, you know, to adapt to everything around you? Not just the driving, but the new responsibilities, the new maybe media com- commitments and so on. Ron, JJ? I would say in simple terms, when you drive in Formula 2, right, or Formula 3 for that matter, you have a team of maybe seven people in a car. Your data engineer, your race engineer, and then your team manager, your your two mechanics or three mechanics, and some of the guys back home in the factory. So seven, eight people per car. So across two cars, at 16 people, right? 
he won Formula 3 in his first year and he won Formula 2 in, in second year. So that's on Piastri's stack. But then you jump into a Formula 1 team and you have 750 straight away um, on your car. And then across two cars, it's 1,500 people to remember their names, know the functionality of the team and everything to run smoothly immediately and start scoring points, podiums, etc., etc., etc. So I think the word daunting is, is the correct description, Armand. It is challenging, especially when you have a teammate like Norris, who McLaren has been his home since he was, God knows how old, 14 years old, perhaps. And he knows mm-hmm. the ins and outs. Uh, and I, I, I totally agree with you, Ron, the fact that he was actually groomed by Alpine, right? Mm-hmm. He was developed by Alpine, wanting him to be there. So the whole development phase to Alpine, hey, it takes time, right? Like it takes at least a few months to get your footing in. And he's mm-hmm. a couple tenths off Norris. So... As a racing driver's perspective, keep your head down, keep proving yourself. So uh, it's still a long yeah. season and, and we're still yet to meet halfway. Abs- absolutely. I completely agree with that. You know, all the performance on that side, like how daunting it is moving up from Formula 2 to Formula 1, having so many people behind you. But don't forget, the commercial side of things, I feel, is even more daunting for them because not only they have to deal with more press, they have so many more media engagement as well. There's just too many distractions. You see some drivers coming into Formula One, their head balloons up, they think they're almighty God, they're the superstars of the world, and then they don't focus on the racing bit and then their performance just, just crumbles down. So yeah, to answer your question, Arman, I think it's it's a combination of both. It's daunting in many, many ways, both performance-wise and commercially. Now, let's move on to our traditional segment of Suited and Booted, Win It or Bin It. Boys, who won it for you and who binned it? Let's start with Win. Jazz, why didn't you go first? Well, it's got to be Lando Norris, right? Lando Norris, incredible. Turning season around, having another podium, good qualifying run. So Lando Norris won it for me. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Arman? I'm going to go with the other McLaren. I'm going to say Piastri. Uh, like I said, you know, old head on young shoulders. Very mature drive. Very solid. Did a pull foot wrong. Whole race. And remember, he's a rookie. That still gets to me. I know Perez got driver of the day, but again, Perez is expected of him. And he was 30 seconds behind Verstappen. That's not right. Same car, but he doesn't finish second. Sorry, man. I don't agree with the driver of the day. <laughs> okay, let's not rub salt into the wound. You're going to get cancelled very soon. <laughs> I, I am. No more episodes. <laughs> Mahadir, what do you think? Yeah, Lando Norris, definitely driver of the day. He's shown that the rocky start of the season, that was more of a car issue rather than a driving issue. And he's proved that with a better car, he's going to use it to get better results. So yeah, Lando Norris. All right, we've got Lando, Lando and Oscar Piastri. I'm going to side with Arman and agree that I think Oscar Piastri deserved to win it. He's just a, a confident young man. You can see his confidence building and I think he has so much more potential, so much more to prove. So let's see how that goes for him. And the most important part, bend it. Let's see who binned it for you guys this weekend. Jazz. It's got to be the Alpine drivers. Um, <laughs> let's throw it to Ocon. You can only choose one. Ocon has to be my... I know he had technical issues and he had a few dramas here and there, but toppling over your teammate and, you know, you had to retire the car, that's bad. So that's the one Ocon for me. That's a fair choice. Armand? It's got to be Joe, man. It's got to be Joe. He literally binned it on the start. You know, anti-stall, bad start, then Kanchong a bit, paddocks, and then drives to the rear end of Ricardo. And then he hits the LP, and then the other LP hits the other LP. So he ruins it. He bins it for another team as well. And then, you know, from fifth, finishing 16th. Come on. I mean, behind Bottas as well in like, was it 13? So sorry, Joe for me. Mother? 
Yeah, I mean, Joe Guan Yu, he's had a bit of a mess, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> honestly, yeah, fine. P5 in qualifying, that's great. But another the day, it's the result that matters. And, you know, if you don't capitalize on the hard work that you've done, it means nothing. So, Joe Guan Yu. All right, I'm going to agree with that as well. I think Joe also binned it. He had a really good opportunity to stop on P5. He completely binned it. He completely binned it and missed his opportunity. Moving on, preview of Spa, the next race weekend jazz you've driven at spa tell us a little bit about the track is it good is it your favorite what's difficult about it keep it snappy well the, it's an iconic circuit high speed corners run it's going to be a lot of high downfalls marginal upgrades and i think it's a red bull race to win what do you think how do you think the mclaren's going to fare in spa it looks like their car is pretty suited to high downforce and fast circuits as well yeah i think they would be on par or if not a couple of times off red bull Max Verstappen, let's call Max Verstappen Red Bull. And I would say they, they have a good chance to be in the top three, Ron. Uh, another McLaren podium will be in sight for that weekend. That would make it very, very exciting. Okay, so Spa's coming up very soon, just before the summer break, when all the teams are going to probably introduce big upgrades to the cars. Now, I want to hear predictions. Who have you guys got? Top three in your mind for Spa. Go. I would say Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, and Oscar Piastri. Love to see Oscar Piastri having his first podium, and I hope Spa would be the one for him. Both McLarens. Okay, okay. <laughs> Interesting. And I you, Armand? I think it's going to be, okay, Max win for sure. And then I think probably Hamilton. I feel like he likes the track. I feel his driving style suits Spa. He loves Spa. And probably one of the McLarens. Not going to say which one, but I think there'll be a McLaren there as well. Mahadu? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's going to be identical to the Hungry Grand Prix. I'm going to go Max, Lando, and Checo. Quick question. You guys driven Spa, right? I mean, for a fan, watching on TV, Eau Rouge Radion looks insane. How crazy is it to drive those two corners? Eau Rouge Radion, honestly, on a very high, uh, high downforce car, it gets easier just because you've got so much grip. Going through Eau Rouge and Radior, it's pretty much just a mini chicane. You don't really feel much. I think if you were to drive it in, let's say, a cup car, you might find it a lot trickier. That's it for our predictions. That's it for the Hungarian Grand Prix. We're really looking forward to the next race weekend. So that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you very much for tuning in. Stay tuned for our next episode. You can find us on the Shock app, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. And if you have any questions and anything you'd like to know more about Formula One, please drop us a DM. Thank you again very much to our special guests, both Arman Mahadir. Sorry, Daniel Woodruff couldn't be here with us. Jazz and I will answer any of your questions regarding this podcast. Take care and drive safe. 